Well, go ahead, have a seat, Redemption City, and as you're taking a seat, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. As we continue in our series entitled Unoriginal, over the last, wow, it's been six weeks now, the last six weeks we've been talking about what it looks like for a church plant to happen where we are. So we've entitled our series Unoriginal because as church planters, we're not original. We simply go to the pages of Scripture and copy and paste what the Lord has laid out. We put it in our current context. So for the last six weeks, we've been covering the distinctives of RCC, and it's kind of like an open book test for you. If you look around the room, you'll see the red banners. And those red banners are what we have been preaching on this last six weeks. We started off with bold preaching. And the reason why our preaching is bold is because we do not preach opinions. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We open up the pages of Scripture and we sort of tilt our ear to hear what the Lord is saying so we can preach boldly. Started off with bold preaching, then we went into sincere worship. Beloved, worship is not for the perfect. Worship is for the broken. Christ invites his people in to worship him, though we are frail, sinful creatures, and through his blood and his sacrifice, the Father accepts our worship talked about sincere worship, talked about fervent prayer, prayer being that it's just us entering into a conversation that God has already started. This is what we're going to do on Friday the 13th. It's going to be four hours of entering into a conversation that God has already started. He's already begun the conversation of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and his love and his justice We're simply as his people entering in. Then we talked about courageous evangelism. Why can we be courageous in our evangelism? Well, we can be courageous because Christ does all the hard work in our evangelism. It is his responsibility to raise the dead, right? We simply share our faith, say the good news, and Christ does the business of calling men and women from the grave, calling them by name. Then we talked about purposeful disciple-making. That is, there are no bystanders in the Christian community. There are no bench warmers. Everybody should be in this process of being made into a disciple or making someone else into a disciple, no matter your age, no matter your background, regardless Christ calls us not to make converts. He calls us to make disciples. Today, we will look at strategic church planting. What in the world is a church plant doing talking about planting other churches? Like, Stephen, you guys are crazy. You've only been in this thing six weeks, and you're talking about planting churches. Why? Because we believe that planting churches is a gospel command. And we go about the business. 
Christians coming together to plant churches. It is simply putting Christ on display in the community. Now, what do we mean by strategic church planting? As we do every week, we sort of go over definitions. And I'm going to be like real caveman-like today. I'm going to give you a one-word answer. Stephen, what do you mean by strategic Bible? That's it. Stephen, what do you mean by strategic? I mean Holy Spirit. When we talk about strategies, not so much us sitting down with blueprints like, how do we do this to get the most people to come to Redemption City Church? There's no like, no, we open up the Word of God. Spirit, do the Word. Church planting, Christ. <laughs> Caveman answer. We present Christ. Present Christ to the community. Present Christ every time we stand up. Present Christ when we sing. That's what strategic church planting is. So if you're in your Bibles this morning in Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13, you probably heard a lot of things this past week. Probably heard a few debates, a few opinions, probably heard about some businesses getting started. Had a lot of conversations, heard a lot of things. Now, hear the word of God. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help this morning as we open up his word. Lord, you have given us another promise to which we echo yes and amen. You have given us another promise that, Lord, you, you're not like man that you should lie. So when you tell us in your word that the gates of hell will not overpower the church, you meant it and you do it. So we ask right now, oh Lord, to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hands, open our hearts. Do all of that because you are able we pray it in the only name in which we can pray, that, that is in the name of Jesus Christ who pushes back the darkness. That is in the name of Jesus Christ who saves, who redeems, who breaks chains. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, well those of you who were here on our launch Sunday, which was, which was September 13th, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Stephen, didn't you preach Matthew 16, 13 through 18 on launch Sunday? My answer is yes. And I'm, I'm too new to this 
to give you sort of recycled sermons. So I'm not going to give you a recycled sermon. These are not leftovers, right? We're going to do something different. And since we're, we're, we're traveling through our distinctives, you remember how it was in school where you would go through, you know, semester, you'll go through the year, and at the end of the year, if the class did a great job, the teacher would then take the entire class on a field trip. You remember that? Well, that's what I'm going to do for us this morning. We're going to go on a field trip this morning. We're going to go on a biblical field trip. And the purpose of this field trip is threefold as we open up the pages of Scripture. The first purpose of this field trip is I want you to see that Christ can save anyone. Second purpose of this field trip is I want you to see that the gates of hell cannot defeat the church. Third purpose of the field trip is I want you to see that planting churches is not optional. It's a gospel command. You know, Christ said in Matthew, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So I'm, I'm reading the pages of Scripture, and I'm like, Lord, if that's true, show it to me in the pages of Scripture that you will be victorious no matter what. Now, I think oftentimes, brothers and sisters, when we open up the, the Bible, we sometimes in our minds think that biblical times were so much different. Like, oh, it, it was easy for all to be radical for Jesus Christ. He wasn't dealing with the mess we're dealing with. It was easy for Peter to do what he did because he wasn't dealing with what we're dealing with. It was easy for John and all disciples to go out in the boat and walk on the water. That was easy for them because their society was a little different than our society today. So we're going to go on a field trip. And we're going to see that Christ's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail, it's not based on circumstances, that in the darkest, bleakest, unhopeful, evil, scariest of times, Christ is victorious. So first field trip, we're going to go, if you all would, would you hop on the magic school bus? Man, if y'all don't know what the magic school bus is, we're going to have problems this morning. Goodness. Now, hop on the magic school bus. The first place we're going to go is we're going to go to Rome. So Christ says in the book of Matthew, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So I'm like, Lord, is that true or are you lying to your people? So as you look in the pages of your scripture and as you look at the first church that was planted after Matthew, we're looking at the church that was planted in Rome. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To make the statement, you have to believe, our brothers and sisters, that No matter how dark, how bleak, how unhopeful, how scary, how evil, 
the times are, God is able to reach down and save anyone. Paul can only make this statement because of what Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, Christ, is that true or is it just true in good times? Christ, I know you can plant a church in, you know, a perfect society, but what about in a dark society? Could you plant a church there? Let's go to Rome. You realize that Rome was known for its violence. I mean, movies have been made about the violence that takes place in Rome. Books have been written about the violence that takes place in Rome. So as we open up the book of Romans and this church is being planted there, the first thing we realize about the context of Romans is that the very foundation of all their evil sprung from how they treated their babies. Romulus, who was the founder of Rome, This is what he says. No child could be killed before his third year unless he was deformed. Well, thank you, Rob. Before his third year, thank you for your graciousness. But then he goes on and says, unless he was deformed. This was written by the founder of Rome some 500 years before the book of Romans was written. You say, Stephen, that was a long time ago. Well, 40 years before the book of Romans was written. Cicero, the famed philosopher, said this, deformed infants shall be killed. Like, well, Cicero, what do you mean by deformed? He goes on to describe it for us. Sick, physically deformed, or wrong gender. Sick, physically deformed, or wrong gender? What was the cause of death? In Rome, they would simply throw their their young ones upon the trash heaps in the city of Rome. See, three years younger, wrong gender, physically deformed. They would literally take their babies and throw them on the trash heaps. So, so when Christians, you know, say to me, well, Stephen, man, this is the darkest age in the history of civilization. Don't you know about abortion? I'm like, man, have you heard of Rome? Have you heard about the abortion and infanticide that was taking place? Beloved, Christians have been living in societies and navigating societies where societies thought that it was okay to kill their young ones for 3,000 years. Christians have been dwelling in dark cultures and dark environments. For 3,000 years, the the light of Christ has been dwelling in Christians in societies where they thought throwing your young ones on the trash heaps was okay. Surely, surely in Rome, the gates of hell are winning. Surely, here, where they will treat their young ones like this. There, there is no way that Christ's promise can be fulfilled. 
Surely, Christ, surely we can find a nicer, more pro-life area in which to plant a church. But it was in this dark, bleak, unhopeful, scary, evil time that a small group of Christians planted a church in the capital. Place like Rome that was literally throwing their babies away. They, when they entered the city of Rome, brothers and sisters, the Christians soon figured out that these parents didn't need a parenting class. They needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed their hearts changed. They needed their generations changed. And when the Christians enter in, y'all, they were hated. You know how it is when you first wake up in the morning, your eyes have been closed all night, and that first ray of sunlight hits your eyes, and it almost hurts you? You're like, man, please turn off the lights, right? It's that painful experience when you first encounter the light. That's what was happening in this city called Rome when the Christians entered in. This blazing glory of light of Christians entered in, and the Romans hated it. So much so that they accused Christians of all sorts of crazy things. And the reason why is because Christians would literally spend hours upon hours upon hours digging through these trash heaps trying to find a baby that they can save. Hour after hour, Christians would rummage through. If only they can save one child, they would do it. And secular philosophers and writers of their day, they accounted this history like, what is wrong with these Christians? Why are they rummaging through the trash, pulling these babies out? And the only thing that they can conclude with their dark minds is that they, they must be cannibals. Why else? Why else would Christians dirty themselves, filthy themselves through the trash heaps in order to pull a child out? Why else would Christians do that? They didn't understand that when Christians see the image of God being thrown away, they will go through great lengths in order to rescue them. Beloved, I'll say it again. Christians have been dealing with abortion and infanticide for over 3,000 years. Ours is just the first society that we think any lasting change is going to happen through political power. Ours is the first society that believes that. All other societies, the church was like, it is our job to be the church. It is not the government's job. In every other society, the church stood up and says, no matter what you think about those little ones, we're not relying upon you. We do what the church does, and that's rescue the people of God. All things. All things fall under the banner of discipleship, right? What, what you eat for breakfast 
falls under the banner of discipleship. How you treat your wife falls under the banner of discipleship. How you treat your kids, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat strangers, all of that, beloved, it falls under the banner of discipleship. Christ has the right to speak into every area of our lives, including politics. Politics is not the Lord of the church. Christ gave the keys to the kingdom to the church. So, so, so brothers and sisters, yes, we, we're sort of in this season where all of this banter is going back and forth. I said, vote. Vote your conscience as it is informed by the pages of Scripture. But if your vote is the period on the sentence on how your Christian life is lived, you are deceiving yourself that any eternal change can come from that. Oh, but if your vote is like a comma, like, I'm going to vote. But it's the job of the church to be the church. It's the job of the church to dirty themselves. It's the job of us to go out and rescue. We rely on no one else because Christ hasn't given that power to anyone else. He has placed that power into the hands of the church. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1 verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. Notice that transition. They planted a church in this dark society, and all of a sudden, the news of this small group of Christians is being spread everywhere. Why is that the case? Because it's on the backdrop of this trash heap. Everybody was hearing what is wrong with those Christians who are filthy in themselves just to rescue their little ones. It's being reported everywhere. Everybody is hearing. Man, those, those Christians, man, they will, they, they, will, they will do anything for people. <laughs> they would even rummage through through dung heaps in order to save one child. This is the testimony of Christians. Can I build a bridge from then to today? If you allow me, allow me to, to build a bridge from, from then to today. Since we're in the magic school bus, let's use our imaginations. Let's imagine that this great evil that America knows as abortion. Let's imagine that six months from now, it is wiped away. And hundreds of thousands of babies, sweet babies who would have otherwise been aborted are now born. Is the church ready for that? Is Redemption City ready for that? You know, I wonder as, as we talk about what the church in Rome did as far as walking past these trash heaps, seeing babies being discarded and rescuing them, or, or is it enough that if we were to see a child who was in distress, who needed the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, is it enough if we simply walk by them and say to ourselves, well, at least they weren't aborted? Are we ready for the mission? of rescuing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
this, this testimony of them was spread throughout all of the world without Facebook, without Twitter, without Instagram. People were hearing about these weird Christians that had rescued the young ones. This is a picture of the Roman catacombs, these burial systems that they had in place. And what's interesting about these catacombs is that in, in all the catacombs where the Christians were buried, they would literally have these small tombs where, where the babies that they rescued were buried. And over the tomb, it would say, adopted son of X, Y, and Z. Adopted daughter of X, Y, and Z. Adopted son of X, Y, and Z. Adopted daughter of X, Y, and Z. Folks, literally. Christians were adopting babies by the thousands. And it was through that sacrificial love that this infanticide and abortion in Rome came to a screeching halt. Through the love and the sacrifice of Christians. This is the backdrop upon which Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul was writing that to a group of people who understood what it meant to sacrifice in order to adopt. And when Paul writes that to the Christians in Rome, what he's saying to them is that God didn't rescue you from pleasant circumstances. God rescued us from the trash heap. God rescued us from the dunghill. God didn't rescue us because there was something nice in us, something pleasant about us. No, Christ crawled through the trash and pulled us out of it. And now, and now when you and I, when we go on to glory, what will be written on our grave is the adopted son of the father of the universe. The adopted daughter of the father of the universe. The adopted son of the father of the universe. The adopted daughter the father of the universe. This is the context in which a church was planted in Rome, this Rome that is so much different than where we are. They don't understand what we're going through. But as we open up the pages of Scripture, we realize Christ's promises are not based on circumstances. Christ is victorious in the bleakest, the darkest, the most inhumane, the evilest, and scariest of times, Christ is able to rescue. Get back on the magic school bus with me. Let's go to this city called Corinth, which 1 and 2 Corinthians was written to. You know, I used to hear growing up, People used to say in the church I grew up in, you know what? You're acting like a Corinthian. And it wasn't a nice thing to say. It meant that you were, you were living a wild life. You're acting like one of those Corinthians that we read about. Because in the book of Corinthians, they were known. They were known throughout the entirety of the world for their sexual immorality. 
You know how the Christians and, and Romans were known for their sacrificial love? The Corinthians were known for their sexual immorality. So Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, for the word of the cross, that is Jesus Christ, is, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to rescue for us who are being saved. The only way you can make this statement is that you have to believe that all the promises of Jesus Christ are yes and amen. That regardless of society, regardless of what's taking place, all of the promises of Christ are going to be fulfilled. So let's see, Paul, as you roll to the Corinthians, was Corinthians like this totally different world? They don't understand issues or our problems. They had it good back then. We have it bad today. Is that the case in Corinth? Let's pause for a moment and peek in. Corinth had this goddess called Aphrodite. It was literally a, a goddess of, of sexual immorality. And people in Corinth, they, they worshiped this goddess. The shrines would be everywhere. You couldn't go to the store or the marketplace or your school. You couldn't leave your house without seeing one of these shrines or these statues to sexual immorality. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Pornea, the Greek word for which we get our word, pornography was written more times in the book of Corinthians than any other book of the Bible. Why? Because that was the society in which this church was planted. Here's, here's the law. People would literally walk around the streets and they would say this, no law but the law of his own desires. No law, but the law of his own desires. So when I hear Christians say, well, man, our society is so messed up. It was so good back then. I'm like, have you heard of Corinth? Our society is so bad, we can't even watch commercials. We can't even watch Netflix, for goodness sake. Because it's so bad. And yet, brothers and sisters... We have a church that is planted in Korea that would make our society look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Man, if you don't know who Mr. Rogers is, we got some problems. <laughs> and yet, it was in this dark, this bleak, this unhopeful, this scary, this evil time that a church of Jesus Christ was planted there. A church that literally in a city that popularized and mass distributed sexual immorality, when the Christians stepped into that city, they knew that the residents didn't need a program on sexual abstinence. They needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And RCC, do you know what? People were actually getting saved. The chains of sexual addiction 
were falling to the ground in Corinth by a simple gospel presentation. Do we believe that the gospel is still that powerful? Do we believe that the gospel is able to liberate like it did in the city of Corinth? Surely, Lord, we can find a better place to plant a church, a more pure place to plant a church than the city of Corinth. And the people of Corinth stepped in there, said to the adversary, you can't have everybody. Christ has a claim on some of these folks. And they were pulling people literally from the depths of their sexual bondage, and they were freeing them, brothers and sisters. God is doing the same today. He's doing the same today. When we talk about issues that affect our society, when we talk about what's going on right now in 2020, we we are sort of living, if you will, in a modern-day Corinth. Here's what I mean. 49% of families report that pornography is a, it's a problem. 10, 10, y'all. 10 is the average age that a child is exposed to it. By 14, 94% of all children would have viewed it. You go to sort of a private school or home school, that age goes up to 15. So 15, by the age of 15, 94% of our children would have been exposed to it. 69% of church-going men view it on a regular basis. 55% of church-going women view it on a regular basis. It increases, get this, marital infidelity by 300%. Can I I lean in for a moment? Usually I tell you all to lean in, but let me lean into you all for a second. Christ makes a promise in Matthew that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. That, That community of God's people, right? The the gates of hell would not prevail against this community. That being said, Christ built it into the very structure of the system that there is protection in a community of people. There is protection in the church. So when I look out on this congregation, I know statistically that there are quite a few of you in this very room that are struggling with this same issue. Daily basis. Spouses don't know. Children that you're trying to keep from this don't know that you're struggling with this very issue. You you don't have to struggle alone. The church was designed to come alongside you and help you break those chains. So if it's it's through anonymity, 
Whatever the case may be, if you go to redemptioncity.org slash Sunday and you're like, Brother Stephen, please, elders, I need help in this. Women of the church, I need help in this. I've been struggling for far too long. If you fill out that connection card, we'll reach out to you. I say, just, just help me. Randall Davis, he's in our resource center every Sunday after church. And if you go up to him and say, Brother, I, I heard the message and, and this is my issue. He would love to pray for you. I'm going to have Jared and Lonnie stand up here after the service simply just to, just to pray with you and say, we're, we're coming alongside you. But I know what's happening right now. I know that Satan is sort of whispering in the ears of some of you, don't confess. There's too much shame. There's too much guilt. You can do it yourself. Don't confess it. I know you failed the last 20 times, but this 21st time, you're going to do it by yourself. And brother or sister, let me say to you clearly that if you allow the church to come alongside you, do you know what you are doing? You are pushing back the darkness. You are pushing back the gates of hell. When you take advantage of the community that Christ has placed you in, you, through Christ, are fulfilling the promise that the gates of hell will not win against his people. There's victory in this, y'all. If it could happen in Corinth, it can happen here robust view of the gospel, a view of how Christ has set up his We sing the song, you are not alone. <laughs> Planted a church in this environment. Surely, Christ, your church can't win and all throughout Corinth as he's snatching people up from the gates of hell and from the gates of addiction, Christ is like, hey, hey, gates of hell, remember, you're not winning against my people. Let's hop back on the magic school bus one more time. Let's go to this town called Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and notice what he said. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, guess what? God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even when we were dead, Christ is able to raise the dead. Even when we were dead in our sins, Christ is able to raise the dead and forgive sins. This is what Christ does. How can, how can Paul make such an audacious statement that Christ raises the dead? Well, because he believes the promise that Christ made in Matthew chapter 16, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, even if it means resurrection. He does it. He, he, he pulls people out. There's this marvelous account about Ephesus 
as you think about the city in, in which they sat, this was the temple to this, this goddess named Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They, they built this huge structure because Ephesus was an idolatrous region. They loved to worship idols, loved to worship false gods. And smack dab in the middle of literally Satan's territory, small group of Christians comes in, plants a church, and people are made alive. This is what it says in Acts chapter 19. It's directly after this account. If you go home today and read Acts 19, there's almost this comical account about these seven sons of Eva. Now, please, don't ever name your children Skeva. That's the wrong thing to do. Well, and it's talking about this demonic possession, but yet... Through the good news of Jesus Christ, people were made alive. And notice what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 19. It says, while many of those who had practiced magic, which was in Ephesus, it was their dark art. They collected their books and they burned them in front of everyone. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. And then Paul writes in Ephesians and says... In him. Why did people burn their books? Because in him we have redemption through his blood. When the people, when those Christians stepped in the city of Ephesus, they knew that those people, the residents, they didn't need a, a class on how to train your idols. They needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is freedom. And there is eternal freedom. This is how we got our name, Redemption City Church. You read that account in Acts chapter 19 of how when the gospel made a stop in a city, the city was never the same. Why is that? Because of Jesus Christ, we have redemption. If redemption comes here in this small little area where God has made us stewards, it is going to be because of the power of Jesus Christ and the power of Christ alone. It is going to be because God's people realize that when you proclaim Jesus Christ, people are set free. You proclaim Jesus Christ, People are moved from bondage to freedom. You proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dead men are made alive. Listen, South Bend, it's going to pass away like Rome did. America is going to pass away like Corinth did. And the only thing that will remain is his people. The power of his word. And it is through that power that we sing praises to the Father and sing praises to the Son and sing praises to the Spirit. So right where you are, let's stand up and let's sing praises to the God who makes men free.